Well, welcome, everybody. And like I said, for you at home, welcome. Um, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to uh, enter into your home via um, online or uh, online service streaming. And then I want a special welcome for those of you who are watching outside right now. I know this is a uh, test run where we're trying to work out the kinks. And so we pray that you're patient with us because we're trying to get the timing down. But thank you so much for coming uh, and joining us today. And we pray that this will be a really special experience for you. And thank you so much for um, coming in and um, for training. And so we could provide this uh, for the... Uh, congregation coming on October 11th. But if you take a look at some of the most uncomfortable topics that we could talk about, topics that will take a normal conversation and turn them volatile just like that, is if you talk about religion or you talk about politics. If those two subjects enter the conversation, the conversation has a chance to go volatile very quickly. And why is that? Because these are deep-seated values that we hold. And when somebody disagrees with our values or our values clash, that automatically sets up a wall between us. And as we take a look at where our country is right now, our country is probably one of in the most divisive states that it's been since, you know, I could remember. And that's just, you know, racial, racially, social, economically, um, politically. But this division is also, we're also seeing this start to creep into the uh, church. And, and for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about a subject that, you know, makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to talk about that. And that's to say, how does what is Jesus, or how does our faith affect our political views? And, and to be honest with you, I've never talked about, you know, politics from the pulpit before, because I know that, you know, whatever I say, you know, one half will agree with me, and the other half will be upset with me, and it's very uncomfortable. And so I just want to let you know that these next couple uh, weeks are going to be uncomfortable. And why? It's because we have people who have differing views on politics here. Our congregation is um, diverse in so many different ways. And I think that's wonderful because the kingdom of God, the church, was meant to be diverse. It was never meant to be homogeneous. That's why I started off with the Jews and went to Samaria and Judea, then to the rest of the world. The church was supposed to be diverse. And in that diversity, Jesus wants to display a beautiful, beautiful picture of unity. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that yes, it's okay to be diverse, but we have to also be unified for the world to see. And so before we start, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of our faith that supports our politics? Once again, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics. Because many believers do the latter. And as we go through this series, this is actually, I'm taking this from Andy Stanley. Where, um, pastor Andy Stanley, one of my favorite pastors, came up with the three 
week sermon series on how to address politics from a Christian point of view. And so um, we are going to be following his sermon series through this. But he starts off by answering that question, and that's an important question that we need to answer. Why? Because as we learned in Acts last week, it says our loyalty lies in our heavenly citizenship and not our earthly one. Once again, our earthly uh, we are a part citizens in the, of the United States, but that citizenship is temporal. Politics is temporal. Political leaders come and go. Political parties through the short history of our nations have come and gone. But our heavenly citizenship is eternal. And we need to realize that our loyalty resides in our heavenly citizenship and not our temporal earthly one. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is what Peter says. But you, meaning all believers, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Listen, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Now the Bible has told, in the Bible, the Bible tells us that God has had two nations. Two nations. The first one we see in the Old Testament and part of the New Testament is the nation of Israel. We see that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was God's nation. Okay, they were set apart by God to be his nation, to be his people. And, you know, I believe that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. So and he, has still, he still has plans for the nation of Israel. And we see that in the prophetic teachings in the Bible. But also in the New Testament, God created a new nation for himself. And that's the church. The church is now God's new nation. Because First Peter says that we are a holy nation, a special Possession, God's special possessions. Now, contrary to whom a lot of what I've heard or people believe, the United States has never been and never will be God's nation. It never was. In the New Testament, who is God's nation? It's the church. It's the priesthood of all believers. We make up God's new nation. Nation. Now, does God bless countries still? Of course God blesses countries, because we always hear that phrase, God bless America. Does God bless America? Yes, God blesses America. But you know how he blesses America? God blesses America through the presence of the church, through the presence of believers, because he says we are the salt that is to provide flavoring, and that we are to retard the um uh, advancement of sin in our country. That's how God blesses, you know, nations. You know, we are to be a light in dark countries that operate with sinful values. But we are to be the light. And this is how God blesses nations through us. And this is why it's so important for us to be obedient to God's word, to live the life that Jesus wants us to live, to live with the values that he wants us to live. Why? Because this is the way he blesses nations now, is through his church. 
In the Old Testament, he blessed people through the nation of Israel. Now he blesses people through us. So we as believers, as a part of God's holy nation, have a tremendous responsibility to reflect God's glory in our countries in which we are citizens. You know, Pastor Benjamin Robinson said, who's a pastor of New Hope uh, Church in Northern um, California, um, he says this, I don't follow the right, I don't follow the left, I follow Jesus. And that should be, for all of us, who understand that our loyalty lies in our heavenly citizenship, this should be our marching orders too, is I don't follow the right. Why? Because it's temporary. I don't follow the left. Why? Because their values are temporary also. I follow Jesus who's eternal. And so if you turn with your Bible, we are going to look to this and see what it means to follow Jesus in light of our political views. Okay, so we're going to look at John 17, verse 1. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. This is the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's always been kind of interesting to me that we call Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, so and so and so and so. But you know, in Matthew 6, that's where Jesus instructs us how to pray, right? In Matthew, uh, in John 17, this is an actual prayer of Jesus. This shows us what's at the heart of Jesus. Because he says, you know, he looked toward his, uh, towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. Basically, Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to the unend. This was after um, the uh, uh, supper in the upper room. And the next event was going to be the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what does Jesus ask for the Father? He asked only one thing for himself. And he asked that the Father would glorify him. Now, when he says glorify him, it doesn't say, oh, that all people speak highly of him and that he would be popular. No, that's not what he was saying. This is not out of vainness or conceit. What he's saying, that he was asking God that the eternal plan of redemption would be, con- would be consummated exactly how God has ordained before the earth was created. He was asking God to glorify him through the redemption of sinners. That that was Jesus' ultimate reason for coming to this earth. To die on the cross to save mankind. And this was about to happen. So Jesus is asking the Father, can you glorify me in this, this event? Because this is what I came here to do. May it happen exactly as you ordained it. And this is what Jesus was um, asking for. Let's continue in verse 11. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now Jesus shifts from praying for himself 
to praying for um, his disciples. And he, he prays that the disciples may remain one. And the unity that Jesus had in mind is that they may have a spiritual unity. A.W. Tozer writes this. Have you, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not by each other, but to the standard to which each one must individually bow. And what he was saying is if you have one tuning fork and you tune a hundred pianos to that one uh, tuning fork, they are all unified in the, the way they are tuned and sound. Why? Not they are not tuned to each other, they are tuned to that one tuning fork. And basically what he was praying for is that the disciples, that they're tuned to one standard. And that is the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus knew if they were in tune with one another, that they would change the world. And he also continues in verse 17, verse 20. Chapter 17, verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message. He prays for those who will believe in them. His prayers are for the next generation of believers and the generation that will follow them and so forth and so forth until that generation is us. And he prays for them. But what does he pray for? He says in verse 21, that all of them may be one. That all of them may be one. Jesus prays for the disciples that they would have the spiritual unity, that they would be tuned to that one spiritual tuning fork, which is Jesus, right? But then he prays for the next upcoming generations of believers. And what does he pray for them? He prays that they may be one. Father, just as you are with me and I am with you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. Jesus prays that all believers, that everyone... Now, if you to, who is that everyone? If you were to take a look at it, our context in which is sermon today, that everyone, that all believers, that all Democrats believers, all Republican believers, that all independent believers, whether you're rich or poor believers, whether we are a different race, race or ethnicity, that what? That we may be one. That's what was on the heart of Jesus. As his ministry was coming to a close, he was praying to his Father that all believers in the future would exhibit one characteristic, is that they may be one. And this wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't a request. This is an imperative And if this was an imperative or a command through Jesus' teaching, then the church needs to be intentional about reflecting the unity that Jesus is um, praying for. And when I say church, I'm not just talking about Mission Valley. I'm talking about Jesus' church throughout the world. We need to be intentional about exhibiting or displaying this unity that Jesus is praying for and not let anything divide us. Why? 
Not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of the world, that the world might believe in us. He was saying that when you get a group of different people together with different ethnicities, different cultures, different values, if they are able to display a unity, he was saying the world will take notice. The world will take notice. And we see this in the command that he gave um, in John chapter 13, verse 34. And Jesus says, A new command I'm giving you. Love one another as I loved you. So you must love one another. So Jesus is giving them a command. He says, you have to love one another. This is not an option. If you want to be uh, a part of my kingdom, if you want to be my disciples, you must love one another. How? How do you love one another? Well, Jesus is saying, I want you to love people the way that I loved you. Use me as an example of how you want, how you are to love people. And why is this important? And he continues on in verse 35. It says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus makes it perfectly clear that the world will take notice, that the world will know that we are disciples if we do what? We really know a lot about what the Bible says. If we do good works in the church, if we give, no. What Jesus says, the world will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How? By the way that Jesus exampled or modeled love to them. And this is a new command. It's not a suggestion. See, The way we uniquely love, based upon Jesus' model, will show the world that we are his disciples and the world will take notice. But as I take a look at our current environment, it almost looks like people who are treating people in the other political party as the enemy, right? That if I'm one party, that means if you are another party, that must mean that you are my enemy, right? And we, we're, we're seeing this division, we're seeing this divide. But what does Jesus say about that? I don't have that in your, um, uh, up on the, your screen, so please write this down. And this is a really important verse. Matthew five forty three through 44. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what they were taught. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus is saying, that anyone could love somebody who loves you. Anyone could love somebody who thinks and values the same way. Has the same values as you do. You do not need Jesus Christ in your life to love someone who loves you. Why? Because we see that all the time. But what does Jesus say here? If you want to meet my disciple, if you want to show the world that you belong to me and that you follow me, 
You have to love with the love that I love. And what is that love? To love your enemies. That means in the context of this sermon, if you are one party and you see the other party as opposition, what are you supposed to do? Lob grenades at them? Tear them apart on social media? No. Jesus says to love your enemies. Now this love, the world will stand up and take notice. Because like Jesus said, it doesn't notice, it doesn't take notice of people who love people who are just like them. It doesn't, the world doesn't take notice of people who love people that are nice people. Why? Because anybody could do that. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, he tells us to love our enemies. Let's go on um, to um, John 17, 20, chapter 17, verse 22. It says, Jesus said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they are, <clears throat> that they may, may be one as we are one. Once again, we see unity. I in them and you in me. So they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even, the, even as you have loved me. Once again, Jesus reinforces the fact that he is praying for the church to be unified. Why? Not for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the world. Because he has said, if the church, if the church doesn't let anything divide them to keep them on track with their mission, he says, then the world will know that you, God the Father sent me and that they have, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity, is, unity in the church is vital for the world to know that God loves them. Because if we're fighting all the time, what does that show? If we're, the people watching that say, you can't even love each other. What's this God that you're serving? You know, what's this God that you're following? How do I know that you're going to love me? You can't even love each other. And this is why the church needs to be unified in three areas. We need to be one in purpose, which is a great commission to make disciples of all nations. And that's clear, that as a church, whether it's Mission Valley or all the churches around the world, we need to be one in that area. The second area that we need to be unified in is one message. And that's the gospel message, that Jesus came to establish his kingdom by saving sinners through his death on the cross. You know, John 3.16. We need to be unified in one message. And finally, we need to be unified in one command. Love others as Jesus loved them, as Jesus loved us. So those are the three areas that the church must be unified. And this is what Andy Stanley says. He says, your political can political candidate will win or lose based upon how our citizens vote in November. And so once again, whoever your political candidate is, and, uh, you know, I, I encourage all of you to, I'm asking all of you to vote because we all need to be a part of the political process because we are citizens of this country. But whoever you choose, whoever you vote for, 
um, will win or lose based upon how this country votes. However, the church will win or lose based upon how we live between now and the day we vote. Once again, the church, the body of Christ, the church around the world, Mission Valley, we will win or lose based upon how we live between now and the day we vote. How we love between now and the day we vote. Why? Because people, and Jesus mentioned this, the world is watching how we act. People are reading what we are posting on social media. So when they watch, when they read, when they experience how you live uh, your life or what you're posting on social media, does that reflect the unity of the church? Does that reflect the love that Christ wants us to show? By reading what you're writing on social, uh, what you're writing on social media, by watching the way you act, will the world know? Will the world know that God loved them by sending Jesus to them? And that's an important question. You know, it's okay to have political views, differing views as long as they don't cause division within the church. And we love people unconditionally. Diversity is a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with having diverse political views. Right? We welcome that. However, Jesus makes it perfectly clear that the most important aspect of the church is unity. Not for our sake, but for the world's sake. Because Jesus knows that the world is watching. And Jesus knows that when you bring people, a diverse group of people, together, and they could be unified and act as one, that the world is going to take notice. And that's an awesome, awesome responsibility But that's a privilege. That's a privilege that we could say people are watching us. And because of what we're doing, the world is taking notice. And the world is saying, okay, I I get it. That God loves me because I could see you loving each other. How can I be a part of this loving community? Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want to see that happen? Well, we have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. And I want to conclude with this verse. Matthew 16, 18. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's such a wonderful promise that God is saying, look, I am going, you know, Peter, I'm going to establish my church, starting with you, starting with the disciples, but guess what? This church, this movement, this kingdom that I've started it will not be overcome. And even hell itself cannot overcome the church. Now he's talking about the universal church, the churches that act in unity. 
He's not talking about specific churches here. Because we've seen churches come and we've seen churches go. And if the church doesn't follow God's command to be unified, this promise doesn't hold to them. Because Jesus is promising that his church, capital C, the universal church of all believers, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will not fall. It will remain here until Jesus Christ comes back again. But the local church, well, that's a different story. But you know what? I believe we have a wonderful opportunity to show the world God's love. You know, this, this nation has never been more divided. And we at Mission Valley have the wonderful opportunity to say, yes, we might differ in politics. Yes, we might differ in values. Yes, we might um, differ culturally or racially. But we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, we are going to be unified in what Jesus wants us to do. And we are going to show you that it is possible for a diverse group of people to act in a unified way and to love each other in a unified way. What a wonderful opportunity, brothers and sisters, and that's the hope we have between now and the time we vote. So what's our weekly challenge? A weekly challenge this week is to read John chapter 13, 34 through 35, John 17, verse 1, verse 11, and 23 through, 22 through 23, and Matthew 16, 18, every single day. And I want you to read those verses in light of the um, diversity that this nation is experiencing. And I want you to read that in light of maybe some of the things that are going inside of you as you think about people who have different views, people who have different views than you. Pray for oneness at Mission Valley. Pray for unity um, at Mission Valley so the world might know that God loved them by sending Jesus Christ to this earth. And then, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. Okay. I know you probably all know someone that's close to you. I want you to look for an opportunity to unconditionally love somebody who differs from you politically. Worship team, please come forward and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you commanded us to be unified. You commanded our body to love our enemies and to pray for them. And Father, that seems impossible. But Father, you would have never commanded it if it were impossible. And yes, Father, on our own, it is impossible. But with you, with you, Jesus, all things are possible. So it can be done in this church. Right now, if you're listening to this sermon, and as you just think about the opposing, your opposing candidate, 
as you think about the views and the values of your opposing political party and you're just getting angry and I want you to ask God to help you discern whether this is a righteous anger or a selfish anger. Because we are to get angry over sin. We are to have a righteous anger as Jesus had. But we are not to have an anger that's based out of selfishness. We are not to have an anger that's based out of fear of how this world will change. How I may not be as comfortable as I was before. How my traditions might be at risk. But Jesus commanded us to love and pray for our enemies. And this might be the hardest command that Jesus has given us. But brothers and sisters, that wasn't a suggestion. And the reason Jesus wants us to love our enemies is because Jesus loves the unbelieving world so much. And that he has chosen you and me to be the witnesses and the bearers of his love to an unbelieving world. And this is why we do it. We love not for our sake, but for the sake of the world that Jesus loves so much. Father, as we go forward, I pray for the same thing for Mission Valley and for our church. Lord, I pray that all believers, Father, that we will act as one. And Father, that we would stop attacking one another. That if we see the other as an enemy, Father, we would take up your command to love them and not try to make war with them. Father, I pray for unity among our nation. And Lord, I know that you bless our country, that you bless the United States through the church. So Father, I'm praying for each and every believer in our nation to take our faith seriously, to be the light and be the salt of this world so that you might bless the unbelieving world, so that our country might be flavored with your aroma, with your values, and with your love. For, Father, this our nation will not change because of political views. Our, our, our nation will not change because of our politicians. Our nation will only change through the power of your Holy Spirit displayed by your church. 
And that is our responsibility. So, Father, I pray for us. I pray for myself. Father, that I would live as your disciples so that you might bless the unbelievers in our country so that they may know that you love them because you sent your son Jesus Christ into this world. In your son's name we pray. Amen.